0: All right, sermon time. (laughs) Um, We are beginning a sermon series today. I'm super excited about. One of the first things I wanted to do when I came on as a pastor here was to shift us towards sermon series uh, because you can tend to go deeper and further on specific topics. So I'm super excited about this. We are going to be starting a series called Kingdom Versus Culture that will continue through the other side of Easter. And every week we're going to do a verses. And so today we are doing hunger versus apathy. Uh, I'm gonna read a quote in just a second, and there's gonna be some statistics following that. Um, And to make it easy, I could have grabbed from a lot of different places, but I pulled from one book in case you are interested in finding where I got these statistics. Some of them I updated because the book is about like four or five years old. Um, So I did some research and updated, but I kept pretty close to what it is. Um, So it's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Um, So I'd encourage you, if these stand out to you and you're interested in the topic, he actually teaches on some spiritual practices at the end of that. Um, But I wanted to say that some of these things, I didn't just pull out of thin Air. Um, I actually found them and there's resources for it. So before I dive in, I'm just gonna pray for us this morning. Jesus, uh, I thank you for who you are and what you've done. Holy Spirit, I ask that you um, would come and meet with us this morning. Uh, Father, I ask that you would begin to stir up a hunger in our hearts that could not be quenched by the things of this world, that we would no longer be swayed or pulled towards uh, the things that seem so pleasing to the eye, but the thing that we would be drawn to is you, Lord. So I ask that you would ignite something in our heart, that you are open our ears to hear what you have to say for us this morning. Lord, we love you and we trust you with our lives and we truly believe it, in Jesus' name, amen. Apathy. Apathy a lack of interest or concern, especially regarding matters of general importance or appeal indifference. Spiritual apathy is a lack of interest in the things of God. Personal desires become the focus of one's life rather than the kingdom of God. This causes the prioritizing of idols over God and his ways. This is a quote from Ronald Rollheiser, who's a Catholic theologian. Today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God or depth in the spirit. We would like these, It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, the shopping mall and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction and restlessness are major blocks within our spiritual lives. The average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. This happens between 60 and 80 sessions, half of which tend to be during normal work hours. American users generally spend five hours and 40 minutes on their device per day. The average American spends 705 hours a year on social media, and this increases by 10% every year. We spend on average 2,737.5 hours a year watching TV, which comes to close to a third of your year. In one hour of TV before bed, we could go through the entire Bible in six months. The average guy will spend 10,000 hours playing video games before they turn 20. You could get your bachelor's degree and your master's degree in that amount of time. (laughs) According to smartphone addiction statistics, Teens who spend five hours or more per day on electronic devices, not just smartphones, but including smartphones, are more likely to face mental health issues. They are 71% more likely to experience suicidal thoughts and 51% more likely to get less than seven hours of sleep and they don't even have jobs. Netflix CEO Reed Hastings is quoted saying that he believes their greatest competitor is your sleep not something else. They are after your time and your attention. A normal human attention span used to be 12 seconds. Since the invention of the smartphone, that has dropped to below eight. A goldfish has the attention span of nine. (laughs) One study showed that just being in the same room with your phone will reduce someone's working memory and their problem-solving skills behold and become. Attention is the beginning of devotion. What we give our time to is really what we worship. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Oh. All right. This is Mark Sayers quotes. Um, He's a pastor that I love uh, from Australia. Our biggest problem in the West is not persecution, but seduction. Yeah, you can have Jesus and everything else. This is undermining the call to discipleship because it's supposed to be Jesus plus nothing. We don't need the things of this world, yet we choose to dabble in both worlds, thinking that because we're blessed to live somewhere where it's easy to follow Jesus, that we can have it all. But instead we're dancing with the devil and living in sin and it's destroying parts of our lives that it shouldn't be. Let's get to some Bible. Revelation three fourteen through 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds and that you are neither hot nor cold, or neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and a salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love... I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Metanoia, literally change your mind. It's not just God, I'm sorry. It's God literally change my mind, change the way I think, change the way I believe, change the way I perceive and live in the world. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. Friends, how distracted are we with the things of this world? What are we filling our lives with, our minds with, our hearts with? How much attention do you actually give to God? He wants more of it no matter where you're at on your relationship or spectrum with him. His invitation is all life, not Sunday morning. And it actually matters. It will change you and transform you when you begin to shift and allow him to be a part of work and play and church. It's not one or the other, or it's both and, and it's better that way. Let's talk about hunger Physical hunger has two parts. First, the body senses a need and then it starts to create a desire for food. Spiritual hunger operates in the same way. First, our spirit recognizes the sense and senses our need for God. And second, our spirit desires and craves for more of God. God has reserved the fullness for those who are hungry. Blessed are those who will hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Remember how the Lord, your God led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was actually in your heart and whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There is more than just the physical, friends. And God is inviting us to experience it. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Does yours, does mine? Do we actually thirst for the things of God? Or is it just when we have really good worship on Sunday morning and Alyssa can sing so good? (laughs) Right? How often is your spirit or your affection stirred up for Jesus? Is it any other time of the week? I can't wait to get up in the morning and sit with God. How many of you can say that? It's the most wonderful time of my week, of my day, every day. And I have the best wife and the best kid in the planet but I can't not get in the presence of God or I can't even love them right or serve them well. It's amazing taste and see that he is good. The next two passages that we're about to jump into, um, you could call life passages or life verses for me. Um, I grew up in a Christian home and probably I would say a very different Christian home than most, Uh, my parents were church planting pastors. Um, And while me and my brother and sister were young, they planted three separate churches, one in Richmond, Virginia, one in Tallahassee, Florida, and one here in Atlanta. Before um, they handed that off, and we landed here at Riverstone when I was um, in middle school. And throughout that time, my dad did missions in 45 nations around the world. And I experienced having missionaries from all over the world come and live in our home and stay with us for certain seasons and share of testimonies of what God would do and teach us fun words in their languages and talk to us about the things of God. And I remember watching my mom disciple women while folding laundry because that was the extra space that she had. And I remember sitting at the top of the stairs in my home listening to all night prayer meetings that would take place in my home. And I thought that this was normal Christianity. And as I began to get older, I began to recognize that a lot of people call themselves Christian and not very many live like Christ. And it was foreign to me. And I remember uh, the Lord leading me to this passage. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships that he endured and how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or go into my bed and I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I have found a resting place for the Lord a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I've spent time with you, Lord. This began to become a staple in my life. I could no longer be satisfied with going days or weeks or months without him. I remember uh, growing up in this environment, I knew one way to get my mom to stop teaching me when we were doing homeschooling was to start asking her questions about the Bible. And so uh, as a six-year-old in kindergarten, I began to ask my mom questions so that I wouldn't have to do homework. And that led to my mom praying for me and putting her hands on me and me being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues at six. RS kids right over there. I was that age. The Lord can meet with you at any age. So I grew up in this environment, experiencing what now I would consider radical Christianity or someone just living how God would call you to live and loving people how he would call you to love people. And as I was growing and getting older, I would go over to friends' houses and I would see their parents and how they related to each other. And I would see how they were raising their kids. And I was confused because they would call themselves Christian, but looked nothing like him. And there was no commitment, no concern for the kingdom of God whatsoever. They were happy to live cultural Sunday to Sunday and never actually do anything with their lives that had anything to do with God. And it was so confusing to me. So I began to ask my dad questions. What what has grabbed your attention? I've never gotten up a single morning in my life and not seen you and dad, mom and dad reading their Bible before I'm awake. What has grabbed your attention? What has made it so different for you? And my dad began to walk me through scriptures and show me different passages. And I grabbed hold of this one. And it's been one that has sat with me every day since. Oh, how I love your law. I I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and they make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all of my teachers for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders for I obey your precepts. And I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from the, your laws. for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain, <clears throat> I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. When my dad shared this with me and I began to read it, and reread it and reread it and meditate on it and then begin to apply it. I began to take the things of God and the things that he was teaching me and apply it in my life. And I started leading Bible studies in sixth grade for our class every week. And I led Bible studies in our class and basketball, at football, throughout all of high school. And every single year, when they give out your participation trophy, they give some other fun awards. And every single time I got the Christlike award every single time. And all I did was talk about Jesus sometimes, pray for people that needed it, encourage people and lead some Bible studies. Shouldn't we all do that? I never did anything spectacular. I just applied some Bible to how I was actually living. And my whole life from that point forward, every time, almost every time I met an adult, a coach, anything, they would tell me that I was wise for my age or mature for my age. And all I did was apply Biblical principles. It doesn't matter whether you're two or 50. If you don't apply the kingdom, like you're not mature, you're not wise, you're not growing in understanding. It doesn't matter if it's a middle schooler who's doing something that is wise. We can learn from it. If the Lord feels like speaking through a two-year-old, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm wiser than the elders. I have more insight than my teachers. I'm not interested in those portions. I'm interested in Jesus. I'm interested in the part that says that he himself has taught me. I'm interested in the personal, intimate relationship with him. And I began to experience these things as I was growing up and leading Bible studies and doing stuff still in this environment. I'm at a Christian school and I'm the most Christ like when all I'm doing is praying sometimes and leading some Bible studies. And it's so confusing because I'm going to all my friends' houses and experiencing all these things. And I walk into people's houses and they don't feel like peace. My home did. When I entered into my home, I knew that it was a place of peace. I knew that my parents were prayer people. I knew that they were interested in God's ways and not the world's ways. And so it felt like it. It was a place where we could say, I'm sorry, where we knew that we were loved. I never went a day in my life where my dad didn't call me anything other than positive, champion, hero. That's what he would call me and encourage me. All of our homes should be like this. There's another way, friends. We don't have to live apathetic Christianity. We don't have to live according to the ways of this world. We don't have to send our kids off to college expecting them not to follow God. It can be different. The Lord began to stir a hunger in me as I grew up in this stage of life. And I remember leading Bible studies as I entered into college here at Riverstone through the dwelling place, the college ministry that we had. And I did a Bible study every Monday night. And for about a year or two years, we would start at 6 p.m. and go till 3 p.m. And the Lord met with us every single week. And we were casting out demons and we were praying for people and God was healing people. And it spilled out of our small group and landed, which was at the time, just young men. It spilled out into our small group and then into the women's small group and then into the entire college ministry. And we saw a move of God in that season of time that I haven't seen since then. And friends, I'm hungry again. I thought I was gonna be teaching on fasting. And as I met with God this morning and I prayed loops around this church, I began to feel the frustration of the Holy Spirit. And I haven't felt that. It's not necessarily a fun thing to feel, but he's frustrated with how the church has been. And I'm not just saying you here in these seats are all, all the frustration. I'm saying like the church by and large is not how God intended. And he wants some things to change and he wants to stir up a hunger again. The passage that I just read before this, some of you might know Chris Masters. He recently went to a conference in New York and I was telling him about this passage that I was gonna share at the sermon, uh, in, during my sermon. And he said, no way, man. That's literally the theme of the conference this weekend. God is trying to stir something up in his people right now all across the world. And are we going to listen? Are we gonna lean into what the spirit is doing and desire for the more of God? Or are we gonna lay apathetically and watch another 3000 hours of TV on all perishable things? There's another Super Bowl next year, guys. Every year, it's amazing. How does that keep happening? It's all like that, it's all unto nothing. The next season of Stranger Things or Downton Abbey is not gonna satisfy my soul. Those things aren't bad, but when they become the central part of your life, will control you. I am appalled by what Christians will fill their hearts and minds with regularly. And then they will sit there and talk about how much they're struggling. And it's like, yeah, obviously, if you fill your mind with garbage, you're gonna feel it. The kingdom of God is light, joy, peace, rest. Where is it? Where is the light? It's time for us to find it, to seek after it, to allow the Lord to stir up a hunger in us once again. He wants to move, but he's not gonna force himself on us. He wants willing hands and open hearts for a move of God. Could you sustain an outpouring of the Holy Spirit right now? Are you a prepared vessel for what God wants to do? Or are you old wineskin? Am I old wineskin? Have I been preparing my heart and setting my ways before the Lord in order to prepare me for the things that he wants to do in me and in us and in Cobb County and in our region and nation? Are you preparing yourself? I'm trying, (laughs) I'm working at it. We all should be. Hmm? It might've restarted because I didn't press a button for a while. Mm. Mm. Philippians 3, 5 through 14. I just shared some personal testimony from my experience with God. And I feel like a lot of times it's hard to share certain things like that and not feel like, you're being prideful or something by talking about the fact that you just chose to follow God and didn't follow the world. When most of that had to do with my parents being faithful way before it had anything to do with me being faithful. And it had way more to do with God working on my heart than it had to me like mustering something up. But I think we need to be okay with people sharing testimonies of what the Lord does and encourage that and not be like, that's prideful to say those things. So here's Paul doing basically what I did personally from scripture that we're gonna read. If someone else thinks that they have a reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. The apostle Paul here is basically saying, I beat all of you on the scale of achievement. I am from the right people group. I am from the right specific sect of that people group. I am a Pharisee. I am the most learned of everyone here. I was pers- as to zeal, as to serving the Lord unto persecution against the church. Righteousness based on the law, faultless. That means Paul had never broken the law before up to this point in his life. Next slide. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. This is coming from the man who wrote most of the New Testament. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings and become like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. I, Paul, the apostle, have not arrived at the goal. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken a hold of it. But one thing I do forgetting all that is behind me I'm straining forward toward what is ahead I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus These are a couple of quotes from Watchman Nee his book The Normal Christian Life I do not consecrate myself to be a missionary or a preacher I consecrate myself to, do God, to, to God, to do his will where I am, be it in school, office or kitchen or wherever he may in his wisdom send me. How many of us know that we, that because, we, because Christ is risen, we are therefore alive unto God and not unto ourselves. How many of us dare not use our time, our money, our talents as we would, because we realize they are the Lord's and not ours. How many of us have such a strong sense that we belong to another, that we dare not squander a shilling of our money or an hour of our time or any of our mental and physical powers? how seriously do we take faith? Is it a sticker that we can toss on our shirt and take off after church? Let's say for a second that every single one of us attends church every single week, which is not generally the case. And let's say you attend a small group once a week or every other week. If I was to remove those two things from your life, would anyone know that you're a Christian? based off how you're living. Would people experience the kingdom of God because of your quiet time? Because you've been with the Lord. Do you come down off the mountain like Moses with your face shining from being with him? It can be. I have been so challenged this week as I have prayed and sat with the Lord and I have met with him this week and I sat with him and felt his frustration. Because he wants to dine with us. He wants communion with us more than he currently has it. He wants your whole heart, your whole life. He wants to save you and your family and your kids and your kids' kids and your kids' kids' kids. kids. He's a generational God. He's interested in multi-generational inheritance. He wants his people to want him. So my prayer for us this morning is that he would begin to stir something in our hearts. That hunger would so far surpass the apathy that we so often live with. Just because life is easy, easier in a Western nation where we have access to clean water and generally can get money in our pockets and buy things that we like, doesn't mean that we should ignore the Lord because things are going easy. It confuses me with how we have it so easy, and yet our faith is so shallow. You go to other places in the world where they have nothing. They don't even have real theology because they don't have Bibles, but they do have God. And you can experience and see things from missionaries that live in other worlds that actually live in persecution. And the presence is different on them because they spend time with the Lord and they're not captured by the things of this world. We should be using our privilege to bless others and to have more faith and more relationship with Jesus and to live so differently that the world can't understand why we would say no to all that it says is good when we have God who is so much better than good. That's the invitation for us this morning. How hungry are you? How apathetic have you and I been with our faith? How complacent are we we with our lives because we're comfortable? Challenge yourself to do some things that would make you uncomfortable, like fast. How much does food control you? It's a great test. It's not always fun. But we're about to start a practice for the month of February that's fasting. Maybe you'll jump in with me. We're gonna go into a time of ministry. So if the ministry teams uh, wanna come up and uh, the band can go ahead and come up as well. Um, As always, uh, our prayer teams that are up here, uh, will pray for you for any need that you have, spiritual, mental, physical, emotional healing. Uh, We serve a God who is in the interest of healing people. And so we will pray for you for that. Um, But there are a couple things that I feel like the Lord really wants uh, people to come forward um, this morning for specifically. Uh, One is if you feel like you have allowed yourself um, to live complacent and apathetic in your faith, the Lord wants to invite you to come and receive a new hunger this morning. So uh, if you wanna just come up and ask um, that God would fill you with uh, a new hunger. Um, And the second uh, that I feel like uh, the Lord is saying, uh, there are some people, Uh, Here, uh, that he's calling to be missionaries in their workplace, and you've chosen not to be. And he's saying today is a day that you can recommit yourself to be a missionary as a professor at your university or in the office doing real estate, whatever it is. He's calling some of you this morning to commit to being missionaries in your workplace. Um, And so I encourage you to come forward uh, and receive prayer for those things. If you all wanna stand, um, we're gonna sing a song um, and have some ministry time and then uh, I'll come up and close us after that. Jesus, uh, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your presence. Lord, I ask um, that you would continue to meet with us this morning. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would fall, uh, that you would minister through the hands of these prayer teams um, as they pray for um, our congregation, for our body. Uh, Lord, and if there's anyone in this room and that you're knocking on the heart of who hasn't given their life to you, Lord. I pray this morning that you would give them the nudge they need to come up and ask uh, you into their life. Lord, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.